Hello folks, welcome back, and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast, and I'm your host, Simon Ward. And before we get started, I'd like to say Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners in the United States. And before we get on to our guest today, I want to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It does not have as much to do with how fast you swim, bike or run as you might think, but it's got a lot more to do with your sleep, nutrition, physical activity, personal relationships, work habits and so much more. If these are areas you'd like to improve on, we would really love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients and my wife Beth, who's a certified life coach, also has some availability. So, depending on what you're looking to focus on, we have you covered. You can find contact details in the show notes. Today's guest, Emily Cowper-Coles, took part in her first cross-country race at the age of 13, wearing a pair of footy boots. She came first and set a new school record, and a year later, she was South of England cross-country schools champion. Emily has a passion for nature and the outdoors, and this definitely contributed to her progress through the sport. Fast forward to 2023, and she holds the record for the National Three Peaks. Um, And if you don't know what that is, you climb Snowdon, come back down again, get on your bike, ride all the way up to the Lake District, climb Scarfell, and back down again, get back on your bike, ride up to Scotland, get off your bike, and then run up and down Ben Nevis. And I think her time's somewhere around 55 hours. She also won the Edale Skyline Fell Race in the Peak District and the Swaledale Marathon, setting a new record by over 20 minutes. And she was fourth overall in the English Fell Racing Championships. Now, in this conversation, we explore whether a person's ability to push themselves to their physical and mental limits and survive tough conditions is a genetic predisposition or whether it's heavily influenced by environmental factors. Emily's father died suddenly of a heart attack aged 49 when she was just 13. And the domino effects of this and cumulative stress that built up as she was attempting to navigate life resulted in her body going into complete meltdown. Emily describes how debilitating stress and delayed complex trauma is both mentally and physically corrosive. She highlights that it's important to seek help early and be kind to yourself, learning only through mistakes and experience. Now competing at a really high level, as you've heard, in the fell running world, she realizes that no matter what else is going on in her life and in our lives, once on that start line, we're all equal and the athlete that's balancing everything sustainably is the one who can perform at the best. And that is a true high performance human lesson that we talk about regularly. So I hope you find this conversation as inspiring as I did. But if you or anyone you know is affected by any of the issues that Emily and I discuss so openly, please look for links in the show notes that will help you to get some help or guidance. Okay, let's crack on and hear from Emily. Welcome to the show, Emily Cowper-Coles. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It looks like you have the sunshine where you are. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm in the southwest. I'm in Devon near Charmouth and Lyme Regis at the minute, staying with my 94-year-old Aunt B. <laughs> um, just freelancing, doing some soil sampling work, some shepherdessing, and then I'm hoping to move back to Yorkshire as soon as I can. So. Wow. Um, so we'll get on to that to work as a shepherdess. Um, uh, are you on the moors there in Devon? Um, is that Exmoor where you are? 
or Dartmoor? No, unfortunately, I have been working on the edge of Exmoor all summer. I've been farm sitting for a nice family. Um, so I was able to sort of get out on some fab long moorland runs um, while I was working there. But no, we're very much near the Jurassic Coast. So I can okay. um, cycle to the cliffs um, in about 45 minutes and I can do a really long coastal run. Um, mm. Yeah, they have. I think they have a... Um... They have a good trail run along that Jurassic Coast, don't they? About this, is, is that it? Yeah, somebody was telling me about that the other day. Have you done that yeah, one? Yeah, I'm desperate to enter it. You have to go into a ballot. It's so you go, you have to go on at 1 p.m. on a certain day a few Saturdays ago. And I, me and um, my friend Andy Green, we just finished some training for the spine and I got to a Wi Fi cafe about three o'clock and it had already sold out. So, but no, I'm, I'm very attached to this part of the world due to um, kind of having most of my child here so it would be a really special race for me to run um nikki spinks has run it herself she says it's quite a tough one so <laughs> i'm hoping to um perhaps i don't know where i'd come in it but we'll see well you you've spent a bit bit of time in yorkshire but you definitely don't sound like you've got a yorkshire accent so did you did you move up here for work reasons then and then gone back down to devon for family reasons yeah so I was born in Essex. Um, my parents' jobs just happened to mean that Essex was a cheap place to live for them to commute um, to London. And then half my family, so on my dad's side, they are Dutch. So I've got very strong Dutch blood um, in me. That's perhaps where all the free-spiritedness comes from. I don't know. Um, and after the war, after the Second World War, um my great great grandfather decided to bring a Dutch woman back from the war. Fell in love with her out in um, Holland while he was sort of waiting there before he was allowed to come back to England. He brought her back, and they decided to start up a very small um, dairy farm here, and it's still going. It supplies Arla, which then supply Yeo Valley with really uh -huh. organic milk. And um, so I've spent um, every childhood holiday of my life here on this little farm. Um, in this beautiful part of Devon so I'm, I'm very very lucky that although we grew up and went to school in Essex um, every holiday we came down here to see my grand so yeah um, when I left um, uni after my degree I decided to base myself here for a little while just because it was um, I was able to live affordably and mm -hmm. um, yeah but well, yeah so I, I went up to Yorkshire um, in 2018 um, because I was very interested in conservation and farming and I found an apprenticeship with the Yorkshire Wildlife Trust um, and I don't know I've, I've never left I fell in love with Yorkshire I've worked in the North York Moors um, in the Yorkshire Dales and in rugged West Yorkshire and um, I've always then I found the running club and fell running and I got addicted and I've been trying to make um, the cost add up there, like, but the cost of living has been so high recently that unfortunately this summer I sort of decided to go freelance and, and couldn't quite make it work out financially there. But um, mm -hmm. luckily I've got such nice friends up there that they're, they're helping me with things like that. And I'm really hoping to move back very soon and spend the winter there become a postie or something and um mm. continue my fell running so we'll see where it goes i had a i had a friend called bob brown and he was really into doing iron man and triathlon distances and longer 
I think he was on the first British athletes to do what's called the Decaman um, when it was only out in Mexico. And it's basically 10 Ironman distances all rolled together. So you do 10 lots of 3.8K swim, 10 lots of 180K bike, and then 10 lots of marathon all together. And it took him about eight or nine days, but he was a postman and he used to run his round oh. um, with his post bag. You know, he'd run around in his shorts, um, all weathers throughout the year. Um, he was known locally as a bit of a mad, the mad postman, but uh, doing that um, physical job, he was able to combine it with his training. And then he would go off after, after he'd run around for three hours, then he would go off and cycle for three hours and then go to the pool. Yeah. And, he do, and he would do that every day. Yeah. People think you're mad. They ask you where you've, where you get the energy from. But I really think if you are energetic in yourself, you sort of, it's like kinetic energy. You manage somehow to create more energy and yeah, your body's just sort of, uh, it can keep getting fitter and fitter. It's quite amazing. Yeah, I found that with uh, shepherding. Like I'll be on my feet all day in bad weather, doing really physical things, um, and then somehow I'll I'll have the energy, not quite have the energy, sort of collapse on the sofa and try and warm up for a bit when I get home. But then I'll I'll go out and run, and I could easily sit on the sofa and not go. But I know I'd feel more sluggish if I did that, mm. and worse than if I, I got up and went out, both mentally and physically. So, yeah, I do think that um, the sky's the limit, really, with fitness. Yeah, I suppose you've still got to be, you've still got only one battery, though, haven't you? And you've got to be mm-hmm. careful not to uh, run those batteries down. And we'll we'll talk oh, about yeah. that a bit later. But the, the reason I invited you onto the show to start with, because you mentioned Andy Green there. Andy recommended you as being somebody who would be a great podcast guest uh, because you said you've got this amazing story and you've... Um, you mentioned being bitten by the uh, fell running bug and you've been taking the world by storm over the last 18 months. That was Andy's words, but you know, I think he'll probably be proved to, to be correct. Um, but let, let's, let's go back a little bit. Um, when you were at school, were you, you, you said that you spent every summer on the farm. Were you racing mm-hmm. around the farm all, uh, with all of that energy that you've just described, chasing the cows and the sheep? Yeah. And um, I mean, it's a very traditional small farm here. It's organic and there's not many of this type left here. So we'd walk miles to get the cows and we walk them back to the parlour. Um, my my dad um, was actually a really active person. He was in the TA when he was younger and he was great at map reading, loved walking. Um, and although he, he would um, be at work while we were on holiday here, um, it was his mother we stayed with, my grandmother. So... Um, it's just my siblings and my mum here with our gran. I would just, I don't know whether I inherited it from him, but I would go off hiking with the dogs for miles and miles. You know, I was only 10, 11, 12 younger and I'd take a little old fashioned OS map and I learned that from my dad. And I think that's kind of something that's just ingrained in me. So, and I do that in all weathers and then we'd be at the sea getting freezing cold, soaking wet. So I think just that accidental conditioning from when I've been very small has definitely shaped me um as a human being and into the adult I now am. I, I think I think also what's important is um that when you are active as a child you set a you set a foundation, a physical foundation um that that then is aided by your just your natural development as you're growing and going reaching puberty and you know you you can if you talk to folks who are in the army um, that have been in the army for a while or in the police and when they're doing recruiting, they'll say that the recruits that they get now are a lot softer than they were 20 or 30 years ago physically, because they just, people don't have that venture spirit anymore. Parents won't let kids out Mm -hmm. of their sight. Um, 
they've they've got too many other distractions which involve sitting down and playing computer games rather than being outside and you know mm-hmm. i can i can i'm quite a lot older than you but I, I can remember back to when when i lived in the village that we would get on our bikes in the morning and if i turned up at home at lunchtime my mum would want to know why i was in trouble and what i'd been mm-hmm. doing Interesting. You know, um, yeah. we'd, we'd go off we'd go to the castle which was a monument at the other end of the village and climb on the walls we'd go down to the local stream and fish all day that um, was the good old days. And... Uh, you know, kids aren't, and and I know that there's a there's there's some sort of diagram that shows the locus of uh, um, roaming that children had. You know, a hundred years ago they'd go this far from home. Fifty years ago they'd go this far mm-hmm. from home. Nowadays they probably aren't allowed any more than a hundred yards from home on their own, and it's yeah, just shrunk over the years. As well, isn't it? Yeah, much yeah. so sort of um, begrudge my upbringing in many ways. It was very frugal and strict, but I am grateful to that. Mm. In in a way, because we weren't really allowed telly, we may be on a Sunday night if a nature program was on or something. But mm-hmm. we had this little black box, and it was still black and white. You know, we never had a PlayStation, didn't have a computer. I was quite teased at school, but now my friends laugh about it, like about how old fashioned we were. I do have a really mm. old fashioned family and mindset, um, and that's definitely shaped me too. But yeah, we we weren't really not allowed, but didn't have things that would make us sit down. So my dad had an allotment as well. Um, I'm wow. in Chelmsford, which is a, it's now a really large town or, or city in Essex. But we'd walk from home to the allotment. I'd walk two miles there and back to school mm. every day. Mm. And if I wasn't running around the garden, I'd be getting muddy digging up potatoes, you know. So I was mm-hmm. very lucky in many ways that I've had that connection to the land and the earth and all that outdoor upbringing. And and yeah, it's, it's definitely shaped who I am now. And uh, you sent me a little sort of summary of your life, and we're, we're going to co- again. We'll we'll come back on to some of those events that have happened that have shaped you. But um, you said you did your first cross country at school. You put on a wet. You wore a pair of uh, football boots, and you won. And anybody that's looking in from the outside would say, "Well, she's obviously a natural talent." So maybe you have got a bit of endurance talent there. But equally, I would think that everything that you've just described about your upbringing and just what you did in your spare time would have pointed towards the fact that you are just, you were comfortable on slippery ground and on different terrains. And despite not having formal training, you were pretty fit. Yeah, definitely. I was definitely out of all the kids sort of stood out in that. I remember doing the bleep test. It was something that you just did when you reached your new school and in year seven, mm-hmm. and I went to quite a rebellious Uh, rough but with a good reputation in some ways um, state school in Brentwood when I got to secondary school and it was really sporty um, but I had got music scholarship so like I was meant to be in the music school the whole time but like I was really rebellious my mum had pushed me into that I didn't want to do it I wanted to be on the sports field with all my mates and we did the bleep test and it got to like level 13 or something and I, I know that's not much now as an adult but I was just still the only one out there running up and down up and down I'd have no training nothing that was just me naturally so yeah I I also have a sort of I see it as a, a problem a bit I suppose especially maybe in relationships I'm told I'm very independent and very free-spirited which is great I think the free-spiritedness is something that makes you love fell running and fell running makes you feel free-spirited and is a release from the constraints of the modern world but that independence I think um 
our mom was very much sort of children should be seen and not heard. And I don't think that's right at all. But mm-hmm. it did mean that I had to be very independent growing up and I would walk alone for miles as a 10 year old. And so I think that conditioning as well has made me as an adult very sort of self-sufficient and independent, which is a weakness and a strength. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I used to I used to be a fitness coach for um, a professional rugby league team and um, Yorkshire cricket and the, the bleep test was one of the measures we had of testing the players. Believe me, th- there weren't a lot of players that could get over 13. Really? Um, Do you know, I'd love to go back. If someone said to me, Emily, if the army locally were running a bleep test thing, what they put all their new recruits in, I'd blooming yeah. love to be there on that start line with them and sort of, I don't know, I don't know how it would go, but I really... Well, it'd be, I should imagine it'd be quite embarrassing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think for police recruits now, somebody might, somebody might write in afterwards and tell me I'm wrong here, but the the basic level that they have to get is less than 10. Um, you know, we used to, I think the best cricketer that we had was up at around 14 and this, he was a really fit guy who took his serious, he took his fitness very seriously, but they all used to have nightmares about do, do, do start of level 10, you know, how they go after we'd been doing the test, they'd go to sleep and hear those, uh, hear those little um, yeah. leaps going off. Uh, okay. So y- you enjoyed running. I guess you enjoyed the outdoors and you enjoyed running. So that was great for you to combine those. So did did you keep that going through the rest of your school life and through university? Yeah. So it was an interesting journey. Sort of um was never encouraged to run, although when we used to always visit um our elderly relatives at the farm, you know, they're all old fashioned dairy farmers, and I'd hear stories about them running to school and, mm. and cycling over the hills for miles to get back from school. So I think just that genetic those genetics were in there somewhere and they were really good runners too I don't know if it's the Dutch blood I'm half Dutch I'm a quarter Dutch a quarter Irish a quarter English and I don't know there must be a real mixture in the last quarter so I've got some interesting uh history um my mum is is half Irish and my and my dad is a quarter Dutch yeah because my granny's Mm -hmm. half Dutch so yes um no running was never really sort of advocated I think to my parents it was quite a sort of new sport I obviously got to my secondary school and um, Brentwood High School and just absolutely loved it they were sport mad and and made the sort of um, cross-country team at a very young age which was unusual and was regional champion and then um, perhaps could have won the nationals but unfortunately I damaged my coccyx bone and then there was a sad event we'll, we'll get on to soon that sort of um, prevented that but I think to my mum, it was always a bit of an oddity. Um, mm. I remember my my dad was really good at taking me to races. And one time he picked me up and I'd just won, I don't know, South of England, ex-country champion or something. And he said, I know he really struggled to say it, but he said, I'm really proud of you. Oh. And that was a real, you know, it hit me. Mm. I was only maybe 12, 13, but I was like, wow, you know, because he wasn't very good at saying things like that. Mm-hmm. So. No, my running was always very self-driven. I could tell I loved it. I could tell how it it played to my sort of, I'm really energetic person. I have a like real love of life. And I don't know where that's come from, but it's like a positive feedback loop for me. I, I love life anyway. I got loads of energy. Then I do running and I love it more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm also, I was a very hyperactive kid. And I wonder if I sort of maybe got a bit of ADHD <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm still very energetic as an adult. I'm like an on or off person that I need mm. to work on my happy medium energy level. Um, so I carried on doing cross country. And then um, there was a really 
sad event in my family and I got moved school I went from this sort of quite rebellious state school to a private school when I was 14 or 15 I don't remember now and running was just not that's not what you did there I was Mm. a bit strange doing it people were like running what um but I was very determined you know I was running for Essex and I I didn't want to give it up I, I loved it it wasn't like a control thing or trying to be slim it's just what I did and I Mm. I seemed to be fairly good at it so I used my lunch breaks um, while I was at that private school to run well that caused a problem because um you know instead of eating lunch I was running and yeah after that went in a bit of downward spiral so I stopped for many years but yeah I've got back to it now my adult life that's that's quite interesting what you say about private schools because often they they are very good at sports and sport for them is a um, one of those things that they use to demonstrate how good the school is. Um, I, I remember I, I went to a private school and, you know, as, as well as they, um, and as much as they published their Oxbridge statistics for those people that got into Oxford or Cambridge, they also published the school, the school sports results about how the rugby team ranked in Yorkshire and how well the kids did at cricket. And, you know, um, running was, um uh was also a big focus as well you know the athletics team and the cross country team and we had some quite good runners um but i guess but there were other schools i know that were quite academic and so perhaps they didn't place as big an emphasis on that but you're 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 what 30 now aren't you is that right so you you would have <laughs> yeah you would have um you would have been growing up and be when you were 13 or 14 that's sort of like 2007 2008 so it's not it's still in that you weren't before that era where females weren't considered as athletes, you know, and um, there were definitely prominent females um, that were competing that would have been. Hockey um, and stuff was really strong, but yeah, yeah, it was just sports I'd never done before that required a lot of money. You needed to have a lot of kit. Ah, It was the main shock I found from going from state to private. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, that is a big, we, we, we're going to talk about that a bit later as well, aren't we, about barriers to entry for sports. And mm. probably that's why fell running is so popular in those rural oh, communities because yeah. you just need a pair of shoes to uh, yep. run in and that's it. Yeah. Um, let, let's let's fast forward to today then. You've, you've had this journey backwards and forwards. Um, you love adventure. I'm getting that sense mm. of your free spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've been doing really well in um, fell races. Uh Tell us about some of the results that you've had so those folks who know a bit about them will get a sense of where you stand in that sort of community. Um, it's all just an experience to me and I, I never had any knowledge of what was a big race or a prominent race or one that was pretty prominent to win. I mean, now I know a few names and I look on the cup, but maybe my name is now on and there's the likes of maybe Nikki Spinks and Jasmine Paris and mm-hmm. I don't know, my friend Andy says, oh, you know, after winning that race, most people would have hung up the fell shoes and would have stopped. But, you know, to me, that's never occurred. I just run my, I, I, what I do is because I live so remotely and rurally as this shepherd in the Dales this last year and a half, like my way to get out on the weekends, see the world, see friends, socialise, was to go training and drive two hours to my mates in West Yorkshire to train or think, oh, that looks a wicked race in the Pennines. I want to go and explore there or mm-hmm. go to Cumbrian race. That's my sense of having a good time, call me a loser or not. Um, <laughs> so that's how I do it. It wasn't because I knew about the races or the people. I just have this, because sort of my degree was earth sciences. So I've got a real interest in land and mm-hmm. 
on the earth. So for me, it was as much as about that journey as as a good day out. And if I won or did well, great. But it was the buzz I got from that. Mm-hmm. And because my work and life was so isolated, the kind of free endorphins that racing and running gave me and the socializing side of it, that was my weekend made up. You know, I'd go back Sunday night, have a bath, exhausted, but exhausted in a very good way not not tired in a mental way mentally way mm-hmm. so um yeah i i just I just started doing them and did five races in four weeks uh, in october last year and and ran them all and was feeling great i didn't know i wasn't eating enough or whatnot and then i sort of for some reason i don't know what it is in my psychology that makes me think that but i I'm not not never content. I I just think what's more, I love it so much. I'm like, is there a? I, st- I began to think sort of last November, like, is there an, an aim to this, like an end goal, like where am I sort of going on this journey? Do I just keep on running and racing? What I thought about maybe GB or you know, I would feel really proud if I represented my country, even if it was mm-hmm. only once. I don't know. It's not because I want to achieve or win every win stuff. It's like just loving it and seeing how far you can go Mm. i love that sort of competitiveness edge to it um but fell running is like a friendly competitiveness so it's great um so andy was like oh well well, i'll find out what some you know prominent races are for you and if they turned out to be the yorkshire three peaks um and then he suggested the english or british fell running championships which i'd never heard of i didn't know if i didn't even know about Mm. the fra the fell running association so Mm -hmm. i was like oh cool um and typical me I was so busy in my life that like I, I miss most of the entry dates for these <laughs> these races and so it said like race full for like the English champs things and uh I was really gutted but he somehow managed to get me a, a place and the man was like oh okay yeah you know like this Emily girl she could have a place and then it turned up turned out you know I did I did really well so it was like wow okay cool like I'm glad we did and maybe you should join a club maybe you should get some support with this um and it's my birthday on on march 25th and so my idea of like my birthday weekend was to run the edale skyline on the 26th mm-hmm. which do you know that race i've heard of it it's great yeah. it's just i mean i i love the peak district but that sort of ridgeline running um in shepherding country is just great so i did that and i i turned up and i i'd forgotten my shoes so the Pete Bland van was there. Uh, I didn't have any money, so I borrowed some. He wrote down my name and did it on trust and gave me these pair of shoes. Luckily, I'm tiny, so I got into kids' size shoes. Um, he was like, okay, you know. She's... Anyway, I came back and shook his hand and said, you've just sold me the winning pair of shoes. You know, I've won. And he was like, wow. And, yeah, I've seen him all throughout the season, the lovely man that drives and runs the Pete Bland van. It's, it's a legendary shop. And, um, yeah, we've become... I mean, I'm sure he's friends with every fell runner that he sees regularly, but they're just such a friendly crew. And he's come to, I think, I think respect me a bit because um, I'm a bit like disorganized and all over the place. I set up with my dogs and my truck and I look like a farmer. And I've usually forgotten something, a gel, my shoes, you know, but yeah, just that love of it means you, you sort of pull it out of the bag and you're out there on the fell running with your map and it might go badly wrong, but I've got this sort of survivor instinct in me to sort of, plunge in and i yeah uh, i think i mentioned to you before we started that i've interviewed um a few people who do the trail races and uh i've got a few friends that i ski with occasionally that are fell runners and what's always been interesting to me being mostly from triathlon is this sort of contrast 
um, between people who do fell running, which is a, a real budget sport. And most of these folks um, turn up like you. They turn up in their truck with the, she- with the sheepdog, you know, they get a pair of shoes on. Um, the race often starts out from a pub and finishes at a pub. And quite often, one of the things that everybody will get, you don't get a T-shirt, you get a pint as you come across the line. And then everybody yeah, goes in, yeah. and everybody goes into the pub and they have the prize giving in the pub. And then you all have a big party and go home. Um, whereas triathletes, they turn up, they've got all the gear. Um, you know, Very it, clinical, the, isn't it? The, <laughs> the, the, the entry, the entry fees are not cheap and then obviously there's a, a cost of a wetsuit and a bike and you know four percent x four percent faster running shoes which cost a fortune um uh you know and everybody's got their gadgets and their gps um and it, the contrast is so stark between those sports i certainly feel really like an outsider and really tatty and rough around the edges when i go there i've done a couple of triathlons just for fun mm. i have this 45 year old pink rally she's called gertie she's named after <laughs> her middle name which is dutch which is getoida um and I, I love her i had a real emotional attachment with this bike and i, I rocked up to do skipton triathlon in, in mm-hmm. her among the the heavy ancient rally on the rack with all the other triathlon bikes and i was just a bit of an oddity but you know i i I did really well in the running and and stuff, and I wore a funny swimsuit, I think. And, yeah, luckily everyone was really friendly. But, yeah, I could never afford or be part of that world. Well, I guess the triathletes wouldn't have taken too kindly to it when they're on their 2,000-pound aerodynamic triathlon bikes that they've just, you know, rolled out for the summer. And you go riding past on Gertie, sort of waving at them, saying, hello, what a lovely day. (laughs) No, they smashed me on the bike because I looked at their wheels and stuff and realised where I was falling down was was my was my technology and, and my gadgets. So yeah, fell running's great in that spot in that mm. um aspect that it's inclusive. It's you know it's a budget weekend, seven quid maximum 15, 20 to, to enter a race. I wear most of my clothes are from Lidl, the middle of Lidl, yeah, or upcycled from friends, or luckily I've 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 won most of my clothes and my shoes and my socks and you know, so it really is cheap and affordable. All right. Well, um, you've also, uh, as well as entering into competitive races, you've also been doing some fairly amazing stuff with your friends, haven't you? Some what I'd, what I'd call proper adventures. Um, you know, you you mentioned the Yorkshire Three Peaks there, and I think that's an important distinction because there is another event called the Three Peaks, which is the the National Three Peaks, which is Snowdon, is it Scarfell as well in the Lake District, and then and up to Ben Nevis, and you and two of your friends decided to take that challenge on and you you had to the challenge means you have to run up and down the mountain and then cycle to the next one and then run up and down that one and then cycle to the next one and then i guess the time the time starts when you start running and finishes when you get to the bottom of mountain three so um tell me about that little adventure because you've done it with friends yeah. and then you did it on your own yeah so again i'm a bit of a sucker for like an adventure and a challenge i love it and i'm very lucky in my life that i have great friends and because of the variety of jobs I've done and all the different places I've lived I've got a wide range of them from all over the country anyway my first sort of adult job after uni was outdoor education teaching in field centres like biology geography and all that and so naturally that drew really adventurous um, people to it and um, we all left that job and went to different parts of the country but me and a few others stayed in touch um, and they included for me two girls, one called Saoirse, she's Northern Irish, and one called Cass, who's um, from Skipton. 
Um, and we used to meet up and bond over adventures. You know, we all had quite free spirits and didn't mind a bit of hardiness. Anyway, I lived in West Yorkshire in this little cottage all on my own. I was I was struggling with just how many hours I was working versus all the other responsibilities and, and life and, and and meeting costs, really, rent and all sorts of things. Anyway, I had my bike, which was made up of three bikes put together and was really kind of, I didn't have Gertie anymore, the odd rally. Um, uh, someone met, kindly made this bike for me. So um, it was a bit botched together, but it was great. I was still fast. Um, anyway, in COVID, we all were in touch. I think it was 2021. Uh, no, 2020. We were all getting a bit sort of claustrophobic. Luckily, I I worked with livestock, so I was still able to work full time, more than full time, running the conservation grazing project. Um, but we decided that we wanted an adventure in the summer, the first summer that you're allowed to sort of go and do something in COVID. And they came up with the North Coast 500 idea, um, oh, yeah. which is great. Um, fortunately, I was a bit sort of rubbish at planning and doing the maps because my technology was not really there and. I did had a very I did have a very full-on job. So they are amazing and they did a lot of the map planning and the organizing. And I sort of provided all the excitement and the sort of uh, motivation and the we can do it type attitude. And I love baking. So I'd always try and you know have some flapjack ready. So yeah, we decided to go to Inverness and, and cycle round clockwise and back to Inverness. But for some reason, and I don't know whether it was isolation in covid or the challenges i felt i was struggling with i'd started some therapy with someone to sort of um tackle childhood issues um and i would i would listen to the radio every day on the way to work and and hear how much people were struggling families with with covid meeting costs and i thought hang on a minute let's do this challenge for charity so um there was a charity locally called cash for kids and I decided um, stupidly to do the North Coast 500 um, by myself and bivy bag on the way round and try and do mm. the 500 uh, in 10 miles if you go to John O'Groats um, in five days and bivying. And I set up a just giving and and because I had a very practical job, I was lambing and people find that fascinating. And I love um, getting people in touch with with food and where it comes from. So I started a sort of blog surrounding that during the lambing season. and took people on that journey but also wound in like my training and and everything and and blogged all the way through the challenge and yeah I managed to like um do do the North Coast 500 on this watched watched together bike and having very little cycling experience I think I covered over 100 miles a day and got into my bivy bag at the end of every day and and people were giving me money on the way around it's great and me and my friends had a fantastic time and, and raised raised a lot of money and then they don't stop my two friends, Sasha and Cass. Very... So did you, sorry, just to jump in there, did you do them? Did you do this with Sasha and Cass then? No, because I decided I want to okay. do this solo. Perhaps it's my independent spirit and the fire in me. They went round as a pair and I started a day and a day and a half or two days later. Okay. I, okay. I caught them up on the way round. <laughs> we met in this really remote Scottish fishing village near Arda Merkin, I think. Arda. That was great. And But it's weird for some reason. I don't mind that being completely on my own, remote, in awful weather. I don't know whether that's 
my background that's made me okay with facing that sort of challenge and adversity. Anyway, the following summer, that, that wasn't enough for them. They said, right, what's the next challenge? And they came up with doing the National Three Peaks, but they decided to cycle from Snowdon, uh, walk up Snowdon and back down, then cycle from Snowdon to Scarfell, hike up that and back down, and then cycle to Ben Nevis and go up that. And mm. they did a lot of research and found that the fastest um, group of women, it had to be three women, the fastest time for that, I think, was 72 hours. Um, and they thought, right, we'll get faster than that. So we put in an immense amount of planning and got a little support crew of friends together and and set off and um and yeah we had an amazing time I mean the journey you go through with friends when you're doing that cycling mm. and the night and finding hostels to pitch up on it was brilliant and, and we did it in in 67 hours I think um we didn't do much training together. We just came together on the day and, and did it. But what we did have was a real team spirit and, a, and an ability to sort of survive in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Andy lent me a bike. I did it on a really older, heavier bike for the first two days and started to struggle because my gut's not very strong to sort of manage eating rubbish for a long period of time or the gels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, on the sort of Scottish stretch, um, I got and the lighter bike out and suddenly realized just how much strength and energy I still had Mm. nearly towards the last third and I they were flagging at that point and I used all that energy and buzz to um, pull them all the way to Ben Nevis and it was great and then hiked up and down and they sort of were laughing and saying oh Emily you know you should do it on your own you're still absolutely buzzing like you've got more to give and I just laugh like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But once someone has set that sort of notion and challenge going in my mind, I can't I can't let it go. I was like, oh, wow. I'm so loving it, that feeling of freedom, like racing up towards Ben Nevis that I, I really wanted more of it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I used the same support crew and asked them. They're very patient and kind. And I said, you know, there's a Guinness World Record of a solo challenge here to do it and I think you had to get under I don't know what the record was um 50 something hours and I said you know will you support me and and my friend Andy Green lent me his sort of Cannondale bike which I'd never sort of touched before I lifted it up with sort of a couple of fingers and was like Mm -hmm. I got some cleats yeah I did the first one with no cleat shoes just normal shoes and um, so yeah, having those two things—the proper shoes and a, a light bike—was like wow. Um, and yeah, I was I was flying. Um, unfortunately, hit a rock and slid down by about twenty meters on Snowdon in the dark, and that gave me a knee injury right from the start. Um, so unfortunately, I pedaled all the way through a really sore knee. But yeah, I just went on and on on my own for hours and hours and. It, we got to Glasgow and my friend said to me, you know, oh, that was it. A, a bridge was closed just outside of Glasgow and I had to do this massive detour and ended up going into some woods in the pitch black with no phone. I had a broken phone and I started to panic. And in the end, I threw my bike over the crash barrier on the A9, is it? Or the road that goes up to um, Fort William, the A something, and just put my head down and pedaled. And my friends met me at the next stop and said, 
Emily, you're not going to make this. You're not going to get get the time. And I got really angry and upset, and I still feel bad about it. And I, I, I apologize. You know, it wasn't right to get cross, but I, I had hundreds of people behind me on my WhatsApp blog group backing me, and thousands of pounds of sponsorship. And I mm-hmm. put so much sort of passion and energy into it that I just said, no. I'm not giving up. I am going to make it and get there, despite we'd had so many setbacks along the way and I'd lost time. Um, I'd had about two hours sleep from when I set off from Snowden. Um, I don't know what it is for me, a predisposition to like just carry on or um, struggles that I've faced in my life so far that give me this sort of ability to, to push through. I cycled through the night and got to Fort William and managed to run up and down Ben Nevis and and got the record. I can't remember now how it was either 50, it could have been 56 hours. Um, And I remember falling asleep on my bike. I'd heard stories Mm. that you can do that. And I Mm. think it was about 3 a.m. And I'd just come up Rannock Moor, which I don't know if you know it. And then Mm. you go along the top and then you go down. And I remember this massive red deer jumping out of me, out of the woods next to me and coming across the road. And I thought, oh, God, like it could just like smash into me on the bike. And I don't know what I did. I I sort of used um, everything from childhood to sort of like steer around it and and use my sort of... um, yeah keep keep calm really because it's happened to me recently with a with a bullock a bullock ran into me um and uh yeah I remember my head dipping and and my eyes shutting on the bike and not being able to remember like the last 10 minutes and it was so cold and uh, I don't know what I was running on but yeah did that and we raised I think we would have raised about 20,000 pounds for the two challenges for the Trussell Trust, which was a charity that it was a food bank. Um, so during COVID, people could um, go and get help from that. And then we also supported Kinder Mountain Rescue. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of um, those challenges, as well as being a little bit selfish, maybe, because um, they got you got your own kicks from it and your own mm. sense of fulfilment. We... I certainly and and my friends too felt a real drive to use them to raise money as well um, at a real time of need for people. So, yeah, I wouldn't say it's anything extraordinary. It's just just a love of adventure. And I would definitely, if anyone listening wants to do the male-female Guinness World Record, then that's still outstanding. So I'd really like to do that. I just need a good bike and a mate. Um, And I'd like to do the solo one again because – um, I definitely could go faster. Hmm. There's no stopping you, Emily. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I should imagine that there'd be quite a few fellas listening thinking, I'd like that, but I don't know if I'd better keep up. <laughs> oh, don't be silly. Uh, I do love a hill. I think, like, I'm lucky in that I'm just under eight stone. So, like, mm. I have a a good bod- power to body ratio apparently that's why I'm, mm. I'm good at hills and I, and I love a good hill so I'll often you know catch people up and eat them off on a hill but then on the flat you know because I hadn't I haven't got all the gadgets or perhaps the that power um I'll, or the know. weight <laughs> yeah, yeah so. I hope you're enjoying the show so far and learning a lot if you aren't already a regular listener I hope you feel you might come back 
please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you know whenever a new episode arrives. I publish these twice a week, ad-free, and with the mission of improving the health and performance of endurance athletes around the world. And to help me, I'd love it if you could share the episode with one person you think could benefit. If you have a couple more minutes, perhaps you could leave me a review on your chosen platform once you've finished listening to this episode. Okay, let's get back to the show. Well, I'm amazed by all of this, Emily, this this humility and just love of the outdoors. But at the same time, these sort of record-breaking, even even by accident, record-breaking um, events and this sort of amazing, indomitable spirit. But folks could be forgiven sometimes for thinking when, when we look at elite athletes that life's just been straightforward for them and they just train and they've got these genetic advantages that just make them better than the rest of us that train all the time. Um, but you mentioned earlier a couple of things. Your life hasn't been without challenges, has has it? And you've had to overcome quite a few obstacles, um, which I guess have contributed to this never give up spirit, but also um, provided you with a lot of grief and and um, and trauma along the way. Um, and you very kindly said that you'd you'd be willing to chat about these. So. Um, Let's talk about that first one that happened when you were at school. You mentioned that you um, might have won the English National Cross Country, but something very sad happened to your family. So, if, mm. you know, I know you. We we spoke about this. You said you were okay chatting about it. So, um, if yeah, you could just sure. share that and just just um, how it affected you then yeah. and maybe for the rest of your life up to this yeah. point. So, firstly, want to say that I think. Um, me and other athletes being I wouldn't put myself in the athlete category but you know what I mean um talk, being open and talking about things like this is very important because it yeah. will hopefully help others open up and when someone who's gone through something similar hears a story and hears someone else having gone through something a sense of relief comes over people and it's just nice for them to know that yeah. someone else is out there yeah I agree yeah um and also challenges and how you overcome them can become a huge strength, not not a weakness. Um, so yeah, I was I was happily going about my my um, secondary school life. I think I was twelve or thirteen. I was a bit rebellious. You know, I was at a state school where there were lots of kids from um, Romford and and all over, and I sort of maybe fell in with quite a rebellious crew. So I was always quite naughty, but um, I was generally very happy. Um, anyway, I came home from school one evening and um my mom was quite strict so I had to do my music practice anyway I was halfway through that um in the evening and my mom came into my room and she didn't often do that and she was quite serious and she said oh now I need to talk to you anyway sat me down on the bed and bearing in mind she had to do this for each of our siblings there were two of us and she just said oh you know Daddy's, um, you know, in a really serious condition in an ambulance. Um, you know, he's he's being seen to. He's had an accident while he's riding, and you know, I'll I'll get a phone call and 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 hear back soon. And, and that was that. Um, and just to say that, um, my dad, um, he was a surveyor, but because he used to be in the TV, TA, the Territorial Army. He was a really good horse rider, something else I've inherited from him, I think. And so um, he'd, he'd volunteered to sort of carry on helping the TA and would ride the cavalry horses um, 
after work on a Monday night just to so they keep exercised um so he was doing that anyway so I thought oh well you know and we'd actually had a bit of a a bit of an argument and that that Sunday night and you know I hadn't maybe left it on great terms with with him we'd sort of had a bit of a tiff um and I felt a bit sad about that because I was was really close to him really close we were were quite the same you know very earthy um sort of um, he was very humble and shy and quiet and I, I liked that in him and we got on very well spent a lot of time together walking and yeah we were very the same uh anyway she came back into my room I don't know how much longer later and I was playing my clarinet or whatever and she said oh um you know I can't remember what she said to me about why he was in the ambulance before but she came in and just said you know he's in hospital he he's had a heart attack and he's he's died um wow you know um and I, I can't remember at the time, you know, you're only 13. You're very inexperienced at life, aren't you? you uh, yeah, not half. Yeah, you don't, you don't quite have the same ability to understand these things or process emotion in the same way. Mm. Like mm. now if someone told you that as an adult, you know, you'd immediately get all these reactions. And, mm-hmm. and But I remember I didn't quite know what to think. You're not as developed, I guess. So I sort of was really quiet and was like, oh, no. You know, I didn't know what it meant, if you get me. It's weird. I don't know how my brother and sister reacted. You're sort of shocked. I mean, I don't know how my mum coped. Like, she didn't let on anything. She was tough. She was Irish. She'd had a lot of bad stuff in her life. So I think it was very much a her fight and flight survival kicked in at that point right I've just got to keep a straight face thing but I mean she must have been terrified I think in that initial moment of shock you are in shock and you don't react as you normally would your your fight and flight's up and you just get on with it straight up so yeah I remember oh no I've got the story wrong I went and had a shower actually while I was waiting to hear and it was in the shower she said can you can you come out and I was in my towel and she just said, you know, I'd heard the phone ring and the house was very quiet and, and cold. So, yeah, I mean, her sister drove down immediately from London and and came. And I mean, it was the strangest experience that night and, and the nights for many weeks and months leading on. It was sort of like church bells ringing happily and then all of a sudden they went quiet. I don't uh-huh. you know, but you don't know how to process it at that time. You're just... And unless you're sort of helped along the way to make sense of it and process it, you you don't and can't. You slowly things fall into place a bit like a jigsaw and you, you start figuring things out. But, yeah, certainly when you're 13, 14, you don't have that knowledge to really understand what has happened. I've spent most of my life since then mm. and all of the things like a domino effect that happen as you're going through yeah, your yeah. life, trying to work it, yeah, process it and work it out. but as you're growing into an adult, so many other things come to it, like jobs, life, stress. And so, mm, mm. yeah, there's been lots of other problems along the way because um, I had a very sort of um, family that wasn't very good at talking about things and and counselling and therapy wasn't. My mum sort of just shut herself away and, and um, we all became very distant from each other. And then I went to private school and then my brother completely went off the rails and went to private school which we've later found out he's he's autistic so of course he was feeling really upset mm-hmm. and angry so yeah the one lesson I would one of many lessons is to anyone listening um just 
talking about stuff and mm. making sure each other's are okay and, and seeking help and support because you will need it. It is so important. And and looking back and maybe going forward, if I'm ever a parent, you know, I'll definitely um, put those sorts of things first and be so aware. So. Um, Emily, in, in the narrative that you sent me before this, you, you mentioned on top of, you know, shutting yourselves away and, and not talking that you used your sport to vent your, your sort of anger and upset and obviously mm-hmm. all the other feelings that you get when you were 13 year old you know there's the grief at losing somebody but there's also the anger that, that they've mm-hmm. left you behind and the anger that they're not going to be there to, to to be part of your life and it's I don't think that sort of using sport as a as an outlet for that is unusual you know there is some research and I will post a link to this in the show notes that shows that there's quite a number of what I call serial offenders you know people who are multiple world champions and dominate a sport for a while have something from their childhood that's driven them to to compete and to get that frustration out I guess it wasn't something that you were aware of it's just something you've noticed looking back on now is it yeah I think it's a conditioning for sure so you know, I was already running and I was, I was grieving. I would say I have experienced true heartache, like it hurt for, for years. And I felt really guilty. I think because I knew we'd had an argument and I have never, you know, I felt really sad anyway. And yeah, guilty, angry at my mum. I felt rejected. She sent me to school. We'd never had a chat about it. Like I felt really rejected as a child. Like, why have you sent me away? Like, do you not love me? Like, it's, we've never talked about it. We maybe never will. You know, she maybe will never understand. But yeah, very much my whole life since then, I feel very much I've sort of had to work everything out by myself and not had those sort of parental sounding boards to bounce off of for advice or guidance and cut a long story short it's why I feel like I'm taking so long to you know really find find myself it's all a learning journey but yeah I remember like feeling that I wanted to make him proud Mm -hmm. and I guess my running was a way to focus during a really really difficult time I would say other unhealthy things came into it so when things go out of control you do try and seek a way to find control and and for me not having the support I I think in running, it's very it's a very fine line between running and and becoming too too thin. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely, anorexia is not talked about enough. But I definitely, definitely, I mean, my friends were in tears at school. They, I became so underweight that they didn't know what to do. So, yes, you, um, you you mentioned that there that you would run at lunch times at school, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. obviously, then you was, then you were saying, oh yeah, and sometimes I forgot to eat. Mm, 100% and I didn't want to you know my way to punish myself through everything I was not very kind to myself for years and years Mm. but yeah I I used I used my running to as a way to fight things mentally and emotionally and I'd feel better and and to prove something to him and myself and there's a song that I really like by the script and I think it's called if you could see me now and if if I'm trying to g myself up for something then there's two songs. One's from The Greatest Showman, which is This Is Me, and the other is The Script, If You Could See Me Now. And those two songs, you know, I still play them if, you know, I'm wanting a bit of, of motivation. Um, so, yeah, I think um, Kelly Holmes recently was on Woman's Hour and she talks about how the guilt she felt her whole life and the shame of being gay and that she's only just 
since seeking therapy and coming out last year um she's only had the confidence to do that through getting some help but mm. the relief she now feels from, from mm. coming out and feeling like she can be her is absolutely unbelievable and she's a new woman and recently I've been working really really hard to try and shed all those sorts of things and take the pressure of myself and just learn how to be happy and, and live um hence sort of wanted to be a postie now and just take the pressure off but yeah my running's not like a high achievement thing it's something that I really love and maybe I've conditioned myself to do it mm. as a release but certainly for me it's been a huge strength to draw on um yeah there's a there's an awful lot of onion layers that are built up over the years aren't there and mm. and then equally to, to peel back those layers to get to the real heart of the problem um mm. takes quite a bit of time and understanding mm. and compassion for yourself and from somebody else mm. um I something my brother works um does he works with people as a courage coach and this is all the um the stuff he does and I don't know if you've ever seen any of the work by Brenny Brown about um self-compassion and vulnerability, but that's really, really powerful. Um I'll um I'll share that link with you and I'll also share it on the on the podcast. Yeah. I'm interested eating I don't know whether there's always some debate about, you know, whether we should call something an eating disorder or whether it's just disordered eating. And I've had um, I've had other female athletes, female runners specifically, who've talked about being in highly competitive, almost toxic environments where they, they didn't have an eating disorder, but they had disordered eating. So they would forget to eat or they would run in the evening and then run in the morning and just not be eating enough in between to keep the energy levels up and slowly be sort of um, going downhill mm. um, until – such point as it you know got um came to a head if you like and they either got injured or ill or both and it seems like that sort of behavioral trait isn't something that's easy to put behind them it's always there Do, have you mm -hmm. found that, that 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 it's it's yeah a, it's a constant in your life you've just learned how to control it yeah niggling in the background yeah i don't know what it is with running it's so bizarre i mean i remember when I was a really happy child in year seven, eight, and I made that cross-country team, which was super rare. And I was already a scratty, skinny little thing. You know, I was tiny. When I was born, apparently, I had to be kept in hospital because I was too small. And we all have underactive thyroid, autoimmune, rhinoids, hence my purple hands, and iron deficiency. So, um, but I remember even in year seven and eight, just that psychology was running that in order to be faster, you had to be mm. nicer. Mm -hmm. And like that's completely wrong. And I remember I had that thought as a little 12, 13 year old. And I don't remember if I ever read it to my PE teachers or whatever, but I was already a very skinny child. So I, I didn't even start my periods until about 16, but that's because I was malnourishing myself. Um that that teaching around running, I think we should have been taught as a group of um athletes and especially girls um from a young age the importance of food and that how it can actually be a really important amazing fuel because I've even found this during this um English champ season this last summer due to stress and my workload and just time and how much I was um looking after my body I wasn't loving it enough like I just didn't put in enough fuel but like there's no sounding board if you don't know, to say, right, you need to eat this much, like you really need to look after it and put back in more than what you put out. And for years and years and years and years, I have been taking out way more than what mm. 
I put in un- unknowingly and I, mm-hmm. and I am harsh on my body and, and drive myself hard. And I'm sure that's just an unhealthy learned behavior from watching my mom over the years and through mm-hmm. sort of uh, pushing through stuff. But Andy did say to me at the beginning of this season, which has been my first fell running season, he said, Emily, nutrition is key. And I've seen so many athletes fall down through poor nutrition. I was like, yeah, 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 cool, Andy, you know, like live on a little small holding, we get our eggs fresh, you know, I, I'll eat enough. Because I'm often, my friends um, watch me or someone I'm in a relationship with and they like go, oh my God, you eat so much. And I feel so embarrassed about it. But like, I actually still wasn't putting enough in. Mm-hmm. And I saw a nutritionist this summer because all of my symptoms from when I had chronic fatigue, which I don't know, we might move on to, um, weakness, foggy head, um, no energy. As I was running up hills this season in the latter races, sort of June onwards, like my windpipe would constrict, I'd feel dizzy. I had serious iron deficiency and I was, I was running on all of that. And, um, I just didn't know. And when this nutritionist sort of looked at my, um, blood, blood under a little microscope most of the red blood cells were dipped and saggy and I was lacking iron seriously and and she said you know how often are you eating what are you eating and I tried to detour her and she said do you know what you're you know you're running yourself seriously deficient you you need to be eating so little and often and take the sugar out you know I'm a sugar junkie because mm-hmm. again I'll, I'll talk about perhaps the the health problems I've had, but I was on this sugar roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I was not on this sort of almost straight line. And although sugar can be great for this very, very short-term fix, it's not a long-term sustaining energy. Um and I was starting to notice I was setting out on these massive long fell races in the in the blinding heat this summer, you know, with 9,000 foot of climbing and 18 miles or whatever, I was really starting to notice that um I wasn't putting in what I got out and with an underactive thyroid and stuff that's it's really bad so yeah all athletes just don't worry about it just look after your body it's I mean you you sound like you're a you know aside from your running which we're talking about now you know we've also talked about just your active lifestyle sounds like your your fire burns quite hot and there's a lot of there's a lot of fuel needed to keep it going um and one thing I've learned over the years is that um if if you're feeding your body whole nourishing food um across the spectrum with a nice bit of variety it'll look after itself in terms of what it, it needs and what it doesn't it and does. uh, um if you're not giving it enough then obviously it has there's re- repercussions isn't there and yeah. you know um I, I have a i have a couple of questions the first question i wanted to ask you because because you work with animals mm-hmm. and because you you're from a farm um that whole thing about um rearing animals t- for food as well uh, are, are you comfortable with that and eating meat or have you gone towards the plant-based um type of yeah. um nutrition that's, yeah that's a really interesting tricky one and one that i see has really come up lately the whole plant-based and one i think mm. that athletes really really struggle with there's this sort of um misconception that all meat is really really bad and you shouldn't we shouldn't be eating it and, and veganism is sort of promoted as the one way and and the, the best way forward that is going to save the planet and certainly um i'm lucky i'm not from a massive commercial intensive background in farming whatsoever my family here win win awards for wildlife and and the health of their soil and and well i said they supply milk to year valley which is organic and 
biodiversity of, of the land is actually greater here than what it would be if it was just left or um, if it was rewilded or if it didn't have grazing livestock. Um, what things like um, cow dung does, if it's not, you know, pumped with chemicals like worms and things, is it actually supports mm-hmm. soil health and insect life and dung beetles. Um, so I see that firsthand. And yeah, the only because I studied earth science at uni and then went into conservation, I've come at farming from a very mm-hmm. wildlife friendly background. And I, I absolutely detest and see why the public really is pulling back from intensive farming, wanting to go vegan, because I see some farming practices that I wouldn't want to get involved with. And I'm actually struggling to find a farm to work on that follows my ethos, i.e. is small and puts puts wildlife and and nature first which is hard in the economic climate but it's what we need to be doing so Mm. no I think I don't think that plant-based eating is you know I see Mo Farah promoting corn and stuff and to me I would never go anywhere near corn because to me that's a very very unnatural form Mm -hmm. of meat and the idea of it growing in a lab to me with my health background and knowing how much we need the fungi and the nutrients that come naturally in the soil mm-hmm. if we choose the right meat and eat it not really often you only need it you know a couple of times a week if we put that money towards buying better meat and less often mm-hmm. then 100 um organic if you can and pasture fed so look for pasture fed livestock association and um, sourcing meat um, and animal products from that 100 your body needs that you know we've we've grown up on the plains of Africa, you know, we're hunter gatherers. We used mm. to eat very, very little and we used to mainly eat plants and berries and actually seeing this nutritionist, you know, I've struggled with food almost since I had swine flu when I was about 18 and I've, I've struggled with my health ever since. And I realized my gut was wrecked from the vaccine that I had. And um, my gut biota was just never the same. So I've had to look so closely into what I eat and how I eat um and I, I I told this nutritionist my, my worries and she said um you know it's rubbish you're not putting nearly enough magnesium in your iron's so low like as a woman hormonally you need to mm. be looking after that especially with an underactive thyroid and throughout the month obviously a woman's hormones fluctuate so much you so much iron goes from your body through your menstrual um, cycle so I really yeah don't want athletes to have this sort of psychology that um they can't have meat and i've also battled with the whole food mile thing like brazil nuts and avocados and bananas they're Mm. so good for you and i certainly crave you know apparently thyroid or people with autoimmune need oily fish they need brazil nuts you know selenium and stuff but environmentally obviously i know the food miles with that but i've had to try and be kinder to myself lately and put my body first and yeah, it's a tricky one. You can't be amazing at everything, but I think as long as there's a balance and if you can try and put aside the money to buy things that are fair trade or organic, then, yeah, do that. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a really divisive um, discussion, mm. isn't it, talking about eating meat and being a, a vegan or a vegetarian. You know, I respect everybody's choice. And, mm. you know, I'm a nutrition coach. I'm not a nutritionist, but I know enough to know that the best diet is the one that you can, that meets all your needs mm. for health and that you can sustain consistently. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah. So like I, I go on feel. So I run on feel. I eat on feel. Like 
if I know, especially at certain times of the month or after a really hard run, I am like a caveman and I look at an avocado and I want that in my gut, in my tummy right now. I look at black pudding and I and I know I get this sort of mm-hmm. weird ache in my bones. It sounds silly, but I know that then I'm craving iron. I need iron or I need this thing in the Brazil nut or the fish or the I eat a very high veg quite high protein i barely eat any carbs because that gives me the weird brain fog thing mm. you know, i don't go for all the almond milk and, and soya milk because i know that the huge environmental price tag that that comes mm. from and i'd rather source it locally from a farm that i know has got good practices than source something artificial from the other side of the world yeah and it again I think part of the problem with meat eating is that we eat the choice cuts of meat and discard a lot of the rest. And that's that's exactly yeah, the opposite of what the hunter-gatherers do, isn't yeah. it? They'll eat, they'll use the whole animal, they'll yeah. eat the organ meat first, but then everything will get used down, right down to the yeah. skin and the le- and, and and you know for um for clothing and for shoes yeah. and they'll they'll use the bones and the bone and broth bone and all broth of that very stuff. Good. The thing in bone broth can heal people from chronic conditions. Abs- absolutely. And so nothing's wasted and i and i've also spoke to people who hunt meat and say that or that rear animals on small holdings and say look you know they also respect the animal because of of what it is and and in in some cases if we don't rear those animals and then eat them those um breeds will will die off as well aren't they because that's the only reason they exist for some pigs Mm. and sheep is because of of that um sort of whole food cycle if you like, um, but equally, we, you know, yes, plant-based is good, but just because it's plant-based, it doesn't mean it's healthier for you. And you have to put, we have to put a health first. It seems like being on a crusade, if that's because that's what some people are at the cost of your health, doesn't seem like a particularly good choice to me. No, and a lot of veg, I look in the supermarket and it's from the other side of the world. So I would say the best thing you can do as an athlete, if you're worried about eating enough protein or meat or um, the environmental price tag, eat seasonally because that's what we always used Mm -hmm. to do. Eat local. You know, I buy spring greens all through the winter that are from the UK because that's the one green veg I can get all year round. And I know it's um, got all the vitamins and minerals I need and that is not from the other side of the world. There are some things you're going to have to make compromises on. But, um, yeah. No, like you say, I mean, I've got to take animals to the abattoir and stuff and I've reared them and cared for them all their life. I I do struggle with that. But as long as I know they're reared ethically and I am taken to a nice, a good abattoir, I know that it's all done well. And yes, it's it's the circle of life. Like um, we used to have native breeds in this country, 100%. Now we have silly commercial breeds, don't get Mm -hmm. me. It's all Tesco in the big supermarkets, like money, money, money. But native breeds, you'll notice that in each county of the UK, We've got a completely different type of sheep and cow mm-hmm. that and they used to graze and create and engineer habitats for us. And it was all in balance and healthy. Sadly, we're just, you know, such a large economy now and it could go on. But yeah, just stay true to yourself, I think. And and read it, <laughs> read about it. And I'm 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 giggling here because somebody told me a story about a lady being very fussy about the um the plants that she was eating just after she climbed out of her very expensive gas guzzling Range Rover, having driven to the shops to go and buy the food and then was complaining about the choices of the vegetables because mm-hmm. it didn't suit her diet. I'm like, yeah. that's quite a privileged argument you're putting forward there. And um, it doesn't, it, that wouldn't sit comfortably with me. Yeah. Um, and I've, 
And somebody shared some um, research that they did on the Victorian diets. And we often think that the Victorian people were not that healthy because they had a quite, the average morbidity age was quite low. But a lot of that was to do with child death and childbirth. And actually, some of the navvies who built the canals and the railway lines that, that I live next to um, were working and doing that heavy manual labor into their late 50s and 60s and shifting tons of earth per week by hand and then walking miles each day to the village where they lived. And most of their diet was seasonal and yeah. local. Um, and back to your point, you know, if if we could eat like the Victorians now, we might actually be healthier. Yeah, and and have not have that couch potato lifestyle i guess it's too easy these days isn't it yeah i'm conscious of your time emily and i know there's yeah. there's still a few things that we've got to to get through here you yeah. you mentioned um you mentioned the emotional support and your mental health following the the, the death of your father you've mentioned um sort of your issues around eating and and health um you you also talked briefly about chronic fatigue so did the chronic fatigue was that as a result of not eating enough and just having low energy availability and, and just your immune system then became weak? And Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It's something I'd like to talk about. And yoga, remind me at the end if I've not talked about the importance of yoga. Yep. Um, yeah, it will be always be a riddle to me. And uh, I mean, I've had this what if mentality all my life because what if has ruled my life? What if my dad hadn't died? What if, if you know, it's sort of ruled my mind for so long I'm trying to shift it now but um we won't know I think it was a chicken or egg scenario like with many things I already drove myself hard because that's what I saw growing up it's a learned behavior it's not healthy my mum still does it um so I think that psychology was always in me um my upbringing and genetics like they were farmers and and worked pretty hard and and were quite frugal so if I already had that before anything bad happened and I was already very energetic and live life to the full I think then when those sorts of events happen and you are not given support to look after yourself or either haven't learned how to look after yourself or don't know how or are parented by someone who doesn't know that combination and then you're sent to a very high achieving school and driven to be high achieving and do million things and just that love and care isn't there I think that can very very quickly spiral into um, I mean I came I became anorexic at that private school I was that depressed you know I was on a high level of antidepressants um my housemistress made a deal with me that if she drove me back to my running club in Chelmsford one night um, a week, then I would eat. That was the deal. That was the only way to make me eat. Um, I broke that pact. You know, it didn't last long. I I, I wasn't coping. Um, and she did seek some therapy for me. Um, but, yeah, the damage was already done, that, that psychology and the learned behaviour of driving yourself hard, guilt not knowing how to be kind to yourself yeah yeah guilt and and worry and not being able to talk to anyone was the main cause of somebody going downhill I think and and lack of feeling comfortable to talk about it you know talking wasn't a thing that was uh, I learned about growing up so in order for anyone to even break through my skin and, and get me to open up it took hours and hours um and luckily, I had kind people around me that helped me to do that. But 
yeah, the running at lunch times and running, running to either um, get through stuff or seek some form of control, I think slowly led to burnout. My body was running on this huge deficit. You know, I noticed I was in cold sweats all the time. My body just it wasn't coping with rainoids as well, like you struggle with your circulatory system anyway. So I was six stone something. I was really underweight. Um, and then swine flu was going around school at that time. I don't know what year that was. I was um, maybe in my first year of ASs. Um, and I ran the school cross country and won it or whatever. But I remember during the race, my body almost feeling like it was a robot, like it was like running through treacle. But because of my mentality, I've learned throughout my life just mind over matter that made me just run it and do it but I remember that night falling into this awful fever and I remember I staggered into one of my best friend's rooms and collapsed and um you know they're like, oh my god Emily never like cracks like what's wrong with her yeah. and they got me to the hospital where I think I was just out all night this awful fever and yeah when I woke up in the morning I think my mum was there and they were like god I don't know what's wrong with this girl uh could be swine flu anyway I, I got home and I was iller and iller and I obviously didn't have a good relationship with my mum um and so it wasn't you know although I was in bed and she sort of um looked after me I think I don't remember I don't know if I could keep anything down I she seemed to like to give me salty water which apparently in hindsight it's not good I don't know like starve yourself or something um and I got worse and worse and then I uh, was given tummy flu and and was so bad I think I almost had to go on a drip I was I remember just um I've never been so ill it's hard to describe isn't it but I actually thought that I might not survive it's a weird it's stupid to say that when it's just a fever um but I was so couldn't keep anything down it I just I don't want to ever go back there I just remember days of dark rooms and anyway so um went home for Christmas and I don't know maybe slept all the way through that and didn't eat but I remember being I was told I was green you know my skin was green apparently which looking back now I don't know what what that was but yeah just not having the support or knowledge going through that so like I went back to school and carried all my AS levels and then A levels and got a bit feverish again and then and wasn't seeming to get better I was constantly tired so I, I'd mm. had to do all my own googling so obviously I I didn't have um that supportive family home um and I found out about PVF and sort of read on and read that it could lead to permanent burnout so that that's sorry just to interrupt that's post-viral fatigue yeah, yeah PVF sorry post-viral yeah. fatigue okay. which leads to CFS which is chronic fatigue syndrome or ME and I fear like took me then I was like oh gosh Emily I said to myself in my head I remember I was about 18 I said do not let it get to that stage but like life is running on you're doing exams there's so much pressure as a teenager my mum was uh, like uni whatever and I just carried on with life and I've done that ever up till now and I think it's either genetic predisposition or learned behavior like you put a lot of pressure on yourself and um I think either my get my gut was wrecked from the vaccine or the reaction I had to it but yeah it I've not known what's caused it but I just know that um I just had this huge huge burnout because I was trying to carry on I had a gut that didn't function I had no mm. energy I didn't know what caused it I sort of made my own diagnosis um so that I could get support on the NHS for for ME and I started CBT but like mm. 
I'd read into it so much myself because I sort of have that sort of brain and I'd worked it all out and I'd started an energy diary and I was going through my boom and bust and trying to control it. Um, It was more the pain management side of it I needed help and support with. But because ME wasn't really known about then, I was just told I was lazy. Like Mm. I didn't feel confident saying I have this because no one knew about it. So I felt so embarrassed and ashamed about it. So... Yeah, I, I was going to say that uh, for a long time, Emmy was dismissed by the medical community, mm. wasn't it, as being a figment of the imagination and you just need to rest and eat a bit more. And um, I don't think that it was even a clinically recognised illness. No. Um, I think things have changed a lot yeah. since then. But, you know, I think um, there's a couple of other things that you've touched on there. You've touched on your gut and your microbiome and there's a mm. lot more now. Um known about the microbiome and a lot more research being done into this and the understanding that the gut's the second brain and oh, you know is. how the gut yeah. in affects all sorts of things from mood to it's everything you know, sleep yeah. and but then mm-hmm. sleep sleep affects the gut as well and mm. your food choices so a couple of things i wanted to ask you um these things never go away as we talked about they're, they're always there in the background mm. um because of your personality type and your willingness to push yourself hard and to work through things um I guess there's always a danger that you could end up back in that cycle. Mm. Do you have do you have triggers that you recognize now that sort of tell you that you're entering into that sort of spiral and and have you got ac- actions and strategies to help pull yourself out of it before it gets too bad? Yeah, definitely. So one thing I've I've learned really recently over the past year and a half, I read about the nervous system a lot with ME and personality types and the fact that life triggers or events can also cause ME. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, there's so much more to it than just being tired. Someone can break their leg and having a divorce at the same time. And that trauma, mm-hmm. it's about, I've learned, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the good one that calms down yep. Yep. back in homeostasis and the sympathetic nervous system, which ironically is the the bad one, well, fight or flight, it saves your life basically. But like from my background and all the events that happened, I have been in this constant Mm -hmm. fight or flight sympathetic nervous system on high alert for I don't know how many years now. And I've just realized in the last year, which has been a godsend through all the other life strains and um, and being in jobs where I've been re-traumatized and going into bad situations and having EMDR and and just pulling trauma out, I've I've heightened that fight and flight again. Mm. So my body's been constantly fighting and that's why I think that ME and things like this and triggers need to be so much more recognized. Like this, the emphasis on mental health and people's nervous system and stress levels needs to be focused on so much because mm-hmm. I know that if, for example, I'd had that love and care and support or someone to talk to or just the stress levels brought down, then my body wouldn't have gone into that crazy, like, oh my God, survival instinct. And if I've been able to relax, then it would have been in that place to heal. And that reflects on your gut as well. So your gut can only heal if you are relaxed. So yeah, I I could easily, with the pace I live my life and like the amount that I do, I could easily go back into that cycle. But I think I'm so aware now of of the importance to give myself a break like daily like cut myself some slack type thing i know that sounds silly but like be kind Not at all. Yourself. um eat really well um be aware if you have any unhealthy thoughts about that being happy is so key like if you're not happy 
with yourself or with life, you're really unkind to yourself. You're not so nice to others. You're living in like guilt and anger. All those things, I think being a good athlete and not re-triggering bad things in your head, it's about being really happy. And I think when you're happy and fulfilled, you've got natural energy and you can perform at your best. Excuse me. You mentioned some that's really interesting and um, very important to me and something that's cropped up time and again in conversations I've had. Um, there's one thing that sticks in my mind is a conversation I had with a, a a lady who was a professional triathlete called Jody Swallow. And it was just before the 2012 Olympics. And obviously there was triathlon in London and we had high expectations for medals there. And I was asking Jody who she thought was going to uh, be the main contenders in the, in the ladies race. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, she reeled off these five names and I went, well, that's very, you're very confident there, Jody. <laughs> what makes you so certain about those five? And she said, "Well, I know each of them because you know I've trained with them and raced with them for years, and they're all in happy places. They've all got stable oh, relationships. They yeah. live in places where they're comfortable. They've got good relationships with their family and um, with their coach, and they're just in a happy place." And I thought that at the time, I remember thinking, "Well, that was that's a really interesting comment because it wasn't something that you would hear a lot, yeah. maybe." 10 years ago it's probably something that has become more prominent now um but so i I really i really like that message and it resonates with me um quite a lot and earlier on you said remind me to talk about yoga and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. if this is where you're coming around to um feeding that sim that parasympathetic nervous system a bit more is through yoga is that is that right have I made the connection there right yeah no yes you have and I completely forgot to talk about yoga unless you've reminded me so thank you yeah I think the one thing so I had to pull myself out of this black dark hole that I could not see an escape from of chronic fatigue like I couldn't see a way forward I didn't know when I was going to get better I didn't know if I was going to even run again I could barely cross the road fast enough to not get run over like <laughs> and I could not talk to my mum about it like, I'm not sure I can cross the road fast enough not to get run <laughs> over these days Emily <laughs> like it was so taboo like she I gave her a booklet to read about it and left it on the bed in the hope she'd read it. I was too shy to say like please can you read this I think I you know I'm suffering from this I was in pain I wasn't sleeping you know I it was really hard and so I had to you I had to pull myself out personally um and and I didn't have much money because I couldn't have a job because I couldn't work. But the one thing I made sure I prioritized was yoga. And actually, that was a huge thing for me to step into because when I was younger, you laugh people listening because they're oh, she's still young, she's 30. But like certainly when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, yoga was still quite new, weirdly, mm. even though it's all the rage now. And it was sort of seen as a bit hippie and a bit weird. So it felt a really courageous thing for me to go and sound it out but you know while I was in this awful pain that came with the fatigue and the brain fog and just the lack of energy the I remember the effect that those first sessions had on me and the breathing and just the sheer stress relief so you might not be able to put a physical blood test result or illness Mm. on ME but I personally know now that it is your body's it's called maladaptive stress response Mm -hmm um and my body was just trying to survive and the stress release and the relief that came with stretching my muscles in that really gentle way the pain relief it it brought me uh was was unbelievable and 
this breathing thing. So we started doing exercise I didn't know about and I very quickly latched on and I very quickly found I still had all that flexibility and suppleness and fitness and that core strength. And I began doing it at home and I got yoga mad every minute I could do it. And every, because when you're in fatigue, like your boom and bust are so rapid throughout the mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I felt that crash or that, that um, bust, I would go and lie on the yoga mat um, and then start a slow routine and I've realized now, just even the last day or so, rereading about the power and the sympathetic nervous system, yoga, because of the deep breathing, is stimulating the good side of the nervous system. So the parasympathetic, and that's trying to um, draw down the high alert, fight and flight of the sympathetic and even the mouth. Mm. And that's what my body was struggling to do. So doing yoga sort of gave my body that leg up to do that and that stimulus and kick-started stuff and the healing and weirdly I'm so well again now my life's so busy and full trying to work and do my shepherding and that I don't have time for the very thing yoga that healed me I know I don't have any free time I don't stretch after running I do nothing I'm oh Emily I'm a busy girl I know I need some help <laughs> um, <laughs> I need it to be a part-time job and then I can justify the time on it um you need so to listen like, you'll need to listen to this podcast again afterwards oh when no. you hear yourself speaking about oh, all this it'll remind you to do terrible. some yoga so I would say make time for it I'm a hypocrite and I don't do it myself but yoga is a healer and an amazing thing and I'm sure our ancestors used to do it as well so yeah I, I've started doing yoga with my physio Louisa who you love, by the way. She's involved in the fell running world, but I call her the White Witch because she has powers that um, are not <laughs> not human. And uh, um, she's a yoga teacher. She does yoga and like physio type yoga, so slightly different. She's it's not Ashtanga or um, Bikram or anything like that. So I started doing yoga, and I do my own practice um, every morning now. And I feel I feel sort of like. It's a bit like brushing your teeth every day. And if you don't brush your teeth, you sort of feel like your mouth feels a bit unclean when you go out. I feel like that when I haven't done any mobility in the morning. But one of the points of resistance I meet with folks when they talk about or when we talk about doing yoga is, well, I'm not very good at stretching. And I know one of my other friends, his, his partner, Kirsten, is also a yoga teacher. And she said, it's it's a practice, not a performance. It doesn't matter whether somebody else can stand on their leg better than you or do this pose better than you. It's about what you can do. And it, so that's one thing about doing your own practice and doing it daily. But the other thing is, if you can really buy into the whole um, principle around yoga, it's not just about that you'll get stronger or you'll get more flexible or you'll get more range of motion. It's about the breathing. It's about the calming effect. Um, you know, I know Jack and Kirsten go to India and they practice with yogis there on these retreats three or four days a week. And he was telling me things like you turn up 15 minutes before and everybody's waiting. Everybody's quiet. Nobody's on their phone. People leave their um, shoes at the outside of the building and they walk in everybody's really respectful they sort of do their you know that you know namaste and it's a respect for the practice and the whole principle around that lifestyle that brings the calming effect not just going along to doing a bit of stretching and then having a bit of a a sleep afterwards while you do your um uh, shavasana I think realistically the way to build it into your daily life is what I have to do to switch off is I 
set aside 15 minutes. I already get up pretty early, but if I got up earlier, if I set my timer on my phone for 15 minutes time, then I know that that time is blocked out and I can truly switch off. Even if it's just 15 minutes of stretching and taking that time to yourself before the start of a busy day, it's 100% worth it. Well, so you've committed yourself on publicly now on air, oh, no. um, Emily, that you, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to get back into doing yoga on a regular <laughs> yeah. basis by putting an alarm on your phone. Yeah. Um, but also remembering to cut yourself some slack if you decide you need 15 minutes extra sleep. Because yeah, yeah. I, I think even sleep always beats anything else hands down for mm. me. Yoga, good eating, sleep's got to be the bedrock of everything. Um, let's let's talk about what the future holds for Emily then. Um, in terms, let's talk about your running yoga? first. What 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 have you got? What have you got planned for? Yeah, yoga, good one. Um, <laughs> what have you got planned for your 2024 season? Are there? Any big races or adventures coming up? Yeah, uh, my two friends that initially did those adventures, they've just they've just gone off. One's stopped doing adventures like that and one's gone to Africa. So I'm on my own. Um, <laughs> no, I'd love to if anyone wants to do the solo challenge, support that again and do the male-female. Um, I need some money and a bike, then yeah. Um, fell running-wise, I didn't actually know there was a season or the British champs since... I didn't actually know they existed until February last year. So like it's all come around really quickly. Um, I think what I learned from this season was I did far too much, too much racing because that was just how I got out and saw people and socialised and I had Mm. a a real buzz for it. Um, I did too much, trained too much to combat isolation, mental health. And so I think going forward into next year, eating probably double the amount putting sleep absolutely first stretching if I can I'd love to put aside some money to like try and get a massage like once a month (laughs) I think that's so key like when I realized I was quite good like before every champs race this summer I would um a few days before get like a a massage just to Mm. actually say thank you to my body and the muscles and help prime them for the next big race and I swear down it helped um Uh, but not being a proper athlete if you get me I can't justify that or don't have the sort of wage that allows me to make Mm -hmm. it a proper thing Um, I think just I've realized that in order to get anywhere with it if you want like placings or to be noticed or maybe qualify for anything you have to be more selective over your races (laughs) Mm. Andy told me this and I was like oh that's so boring I can't just go like with my heart and like oh I want to go and do this race today I've got to tone it down do less racing but be more selective so I'd love to do all the big ones again that did last year but either ones I went into that I was seriously fatigued or low on iron I'd like to see where I could get to if I actually eat properly sleep enough so I'll do the Yorkshire Three Peaks, um, maybe do the Chap season again, but I think it's quite restrictive because you can't do other races. Um, do some real biggies like um, Ben Nevis and just some real, I'd love to do Isle of Jura, perhaps the Jura race. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to get stronger at navigation, but I think the most important thing is enjoying it with your friends and being a good teammate and, and helping others because mm-hmm. you see the joy it brings others and and how much it boosts everyone's mental health so yeah enjoying it for me and picking a few key races like the trigger have you heard of that one no just some real standout epic fell races and some ones for fun 
and just see where it goes. It has to be a love, first of all, not all this pressure. And everyone's got to earn a living and I do a full-time job and I'm trying to go freelance and build a mobile farm school and stuff. So it's all a balance. Paula Radcliffe says in her book, which I read back when I was 13 and already feeling highly under pressure, like she said, it's about juggling balls and Mm. like, yeah, it's about juggling the right ones and the right amount and keeping that balance. So yeah, I'm going to work on that actually and being happy and healthy. I think, well, happy and healthy probably equals good performance, but not the other yeah. way around, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. And um, you, you briefly, you mentioned the spine earlier. Is that, have you just been training for that, or are you planning an attempt on the spine oh. race at some point? Oh man, I'd love that. Yeah, and Andy does it, and yeah, they go out on the weekend. And and once I move properly to Yorkshire, which I'm really excited about, like I'll be able to just bob out and go training with them. At the mm-hmm. minute, I'm training all by myself, and that's another thing. Actually, I've done that for years now trained by myself and all last year and I really need to join a club because that will give me so much support mm-hmm. so that's a key priority um no I'd love to do the spine but also I think it's really the cost of things like that make it elitist like it's the mini one is 700 something pounds plus all your kit mm-hmm. I can't I can't do that <laughs> so I'd love to um but I definitely focus on races that are affordable so yeah well well i hope i hope that we uh i hope that we see you out there emily yeah. and um it would be I'm, I'm gonna if with your permission and i'll ask you this after after we finish to i'll share some of the um social media places or your blogs if you're still doing them because i'm sure folks would like to read about that there's i know there's quite a few female shepherdesses and and um, farmers in the yorkshire dales that have been documenting their progress and their life and they're they're proved to be very popular um, with <laughs> yeah, folks I, I don't have any social media at the moment um i do for the fundraising i did so you'll find me on google but people say oh you're on google and i'm like what i don't even know i don't have any social media but if i set up my freelance business which is called the traveling shepherdess which does forest school and um, farm education for kids and then you know shepherding stuff then um i will have to get an instagram account so you might see me on there one day okay well emily i'm so appreciative of, of you sharing all of these highs and, and lows in your life and being so open and passing on your experiences you've certainly packed a lot into your short life you've got plenty of time left so uh, hopefully Hopefully, the next part the next chapter is just as exciting and happy so but thank you for being here today with us thank you very much for having me on and i wish you and everyone in the athletics world all the best thank you emily take care see you out there somewhere (laughs) thank you again to emily for being my guest on the show this week there's a real lesson there just because someone is a high performing athlete it doesn't mean that that comes without lots of challenges as you've heard Now, if you haven't already seen them, please do go and check out our new bite-sized podcast episodes, which are published every Saturday morning. These are around 10 minutes in length, and I share insights on one topic in particular, and it changes each week. Now, if you have endurance events to train for in 2024, you might be interested in my SWAT in a circle. We've got almost 100 like-minded athletes preparing for triathlon, marathons, cycle sportives, and much more. They get training plans, coaching guidance, and the real killer is this, it costs just £30 a month. And you can find a link for this in the show notes below. And if you've got any questions, just email me, simon at thetriathloncoach.com. Please don't forget to make sure you subscribe for this episode by going to the link on what 
whatever platform you've uh, found today and obviously press that subscribe button and then it'll pop into your inbox every week and you won't miss any episodes in the future there's also lots of other links in the show notes including those things i talked about eating disorders mental health issues chronic fatigue etc so please do check those out that's all for this week next week i'll have another great guest and i hope that you'll be able to join me bye for now